that job was really the fulfillment of all that hard work, all the suffering I had to go through. You know, when I was an intern, I would I would look for other jobs, other internship jobs, because I hated working at that place. But I would always hear God say, wait, hang on, hold my beer. Welcome to the Breakthrough of Grace podcast, a place where we share the stories of ordinary lives transformed by God's extraordinary graces. We invite you to join us as our speakers talk about their journey towards living lives of rich Christian authenticity to encourage and inspire each one of us. We are thankful you're here and taking this time to spend with us. A reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Hebrew called Beth Zathah, which has five porticos. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been lying there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is troubled, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your pallet and walk. And at once the man was healed he took up his pallet and walked. Friends, welcome. This episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast features a talk by Matthew Sapola. Matthew is a husband and a father. He serves our military as a civilian counselor, helping our men and women in uniform prepare for and recover from the emotional, spiritual, and relational demands of deploying into harm's way. Matt's story is told by him simply and somewhat factually. But as you will hear, he is one who has discovered the secret to holy perseverance. Indeed, much of what Matt shares about his life in Christ flows from his and his wife's slow, patient, and powerful prayer in waiting on the Lord. Matt's story is compelling. He gives witness to the circumstances in which God has and continues to move in his life. But more to the point, Matthew describes the power of waiting on the Lord in faithfulness. And perhaps one of the greatest miracles to occur in Matt's life followed eight years of prayer, in which the miracle and the answers to all that long waiting unfolded in eight short hours. The words of the psalmist ring true. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your vindication as the light and your right as the noon day. This talk was recorded at John Paul the Great University in Southern California with a small prayer group. We pray that it blesses you as much as it did us. Good morning, everybody. My name is Matt Sapola. I have been asked to give a talk today about uh, some events that have happened in my life 
that hopefully you can relate to, hopefully you can experience God's will and God's calling in your life and somehow draw from my experiences to help you on that journey. Before I get started, I wanted to talk about the the title of this talk. Um, it's wait. God answers all our prayers. Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's hold my beer. I got something better planned for you. Just wait it out. With that being said, I wanted to open up with a scripture reading. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world, blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption in accordance with the pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. Um, I wanted to let that sink in just for a little bit. I want you to really focus in on we are all predestined, predetermined to be under Christ. You know, you don't have to be Jewish in order to be the chosen people anymore. Christ made that happen. So we are all adopted through Christ. And if you really think about the, the Old Testament in a broader sense, it's really a love story. And I would say that the New Testament is as well. And I would also venture to say that our own stories are a love story between us and God. And a lot of that is a matter of perspective on how you live your life, how you choose to accept God's love story. And it may not seem like it on the surface, but if you choose it, it is. So with that, I wanted to highlight a few uh, miracles that have happened in my life. I'm going to highlight probably four or five. Kind of depends on how much time I ramble on talking. First off, gosh, it's been a while. Uh, 2010, me and my wife bought a house. And it was a miracle how we got the house. So we got engaged uh, 2008, I believe. And then we were like, hey, we need a place to live. Housing market sucks right now. But we can, I mean, it was great for us anyways. But it was horrible for a lot of people. But we were able to afford a house. But it took us a year and a half. We put in 50 different offers, got rejected on every single one of them. We were on our third realtor. And then I get a phone call one day from our current realtor. Well, not current, but current at the time. And he said, uh, hey, there's a, a lady who is selling our house. The realtor sitting right next to me and the desk next to me is the selling agent. The house isn't on the market. Why don't we go take a look? I was like, and at that point in my, in my life, with regard to the housing stuff, it was like, roll my eyes, like, I don't care, whatever, I'll take anything, right? So I went and looked at the house. It was, it was in shambles, but me and my wife were on the same page, like, it doesn't matter. My wife didn't even go look at the house. She was working that day. She's like, I'm not going to take time off to go look at another house and be rejected on another thing. I went and looked at the house. The old lady that lived there was there, and I left, and I said, you know, you have a nice house. Thank you for letting me see it. I would love to buy it. So we put an offer in and she took it. And that was miracle number one. That set us up for success with our family, with uh, living life. Good home base is very important to us. So that's miracle number one. Number two, so I'm a counselor by trade. I, I work on Camp Pendleton. I have been a licensed clinician for, I think, six years. 
And uh, prior to that, I was a firefighter for about 10 years. But in between that time, you got to, you know, get a master's or PhD and then do an internship that takes a really long time. So my second miracle is passing the licensure. And let me kind of explain some of the, the steps along the way. When I first started the journey to becoming a counselor, I didn't know I wanted to be a counselor. So that took a lot of prayer, a lot of effort, a lot of uh, fasting and prayer. Eventually, I decided, hey, that's the path I'm going to go down. So my prayer at the time was to God, hey, if this isn't the path for me, put some roadblocks in my way and just don't make it happen. Don't let me get accepted into university. Don't. If I do get accepted, let me fail out in the first month. Like, just <laughs> something. Okay. So God paved the way for that one. And one of the funny things, one of the funny miracles was I was taking a class. I think it was couples counseling. The professor I had at the time was uh, my third time having that specific professor. And she, <laughs> she liked me, which was a challenge in itself because I didn't care much for her just <laughs> from her morals and values standpoint. But, you know, sometimes you got to play the game. Sometimes you just got to put your head down, get to work and just say, okay, that's fine. I don't like her, but I can tolerate this for a short period of time. So the entire class was based upon the final exam. Whatever you got on the final exam was the grade you got in the class. And she did no prep work for us for the final exam. And so <laughs> kind of set us up for failure. But, you know, it's my own fault. Like I didn't prepare enough for it. I'll take ownership of that. So I, I fail the, the final exam miserably. I'm talking like 40%. I'm talking like this is the worst I've ever done on any test. But prior to that, I was on academic probation. Um, the, the class prior to that one, or maybe two classes prior, was psychopharmaceutical medication. And so that's all the drugs, all the medication that you take for mental health illnesses, which is ironic because I was a firefighter EMT who would push medication on an ambulance. And yet that's the class I got a C in. Didn't make sense, but okay, I'll take it. So I fail this class, which means, you know, I'm basically getting kicked out, right? But I get a phone call from this professor the day after the final. And she says, hey, you failed. I was like, I kind of figured. And uh, she says, I'm going to pass you because you're going to make a damn good therapist. I was like, oh, thank you, ma'am. That's mighty generous of you. And she goes, I see you're on academic probation, so I'm giving you an A. <laughs> Basically <laughs> takes me out of academic probation. So um, God paving the way, right? So I pass, uh, I get my master's in counseling psychology. Uh, I start an internship, which I absolutely hate. It's basically like slave labor for therapists. They, they can take advantage of you financially for many years. Um, and there's not a whole lot of options out there. But um, I'll get more on that topic in a little bit, focusing back on my licensure. After your, your master's degree, it's about three years of internship before you take your licensure exam. It's about a four-hour long test. It's uh, 100 and something questions. All of the questions are about a page long, so there's a lot of reading. They say you burn more calories taking this exam than you do running a marathon. So you have to like really prepare for this, not just academically. A lot of the study strategies that they implement have to do with like, hey, take a break and eat something so you get some calories in your brain so that you can think more clearly, various things like that. The year 
I was going to take the exam. Um, I started studying in like January or February, and I was due to take the exam in August, which actually turned out to be November because they were so backlogged with things. That year, they changed the test. Nobody knew what the new test was. Every single intern I knew failed it that year. Nobody passed. They might have passed their second or third time taking it, but first time taking it, no go. Eventually, I was approved, scheduled my test November 4th, I believe, which was a Friday. My grandma died that Monday prior. I was very close with my grandma. I was her gardener for about 10 years. Handyman, gardener, I'd see her twice a week, every week. That hit me hard. We, it, it was expected. It wasn't like, oh, she died unexpectedly. No, like, no, it was expected, but still hits you. And so I remember um, I would bring her in and out uh, once a week while she was in the home. And uh, that was her favorite. In and out was her favorite. And she would put on a smile. She hated being in that place. I know she did. But she put on a smile and was happy to see me like usual. Last time I brought her in and out, she was pretty much unconscious. Uh, couldn't wake her up. So I ate her half. So that Monday she passed. Um, I was on, at work. I was in my office. Where I worked, there was a hallway, big hallway, and there was hallway music playing. Always hallway music. It was always the same stuff, just on repetition. It was actually very annoying, and we complained a lot about it. Prior to her passing, or maybe at the exact same time, I'm not really sure. Um, I was sitting at my desk, listening to the music, doing some paperwork, and a song came on the hallway music that was a song that was not on their playlist. I knew that because I had the whole thing memorized. And it was Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World, which prior to that, I hated that song. I didn't like it. It was not my style. I didn't like it. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But in that moment, I knew my grandma had passed and I knew she was sending me a message. Out of all the things she wanted to tell me on her deathbed, she chooses that. Well, after the song played, um, uh, I got a phone call from my mom saying grandma passed. I walk into my boss's office and I hated my boss at the time. He was a horrible boss. Uh, but at times he, he was good. I mean, it's kind of funny. He's a therapist. He should be a good boss, right? Like that should be a, a thing. Uh, but not so. He was good at what he did. I'll, I'll give him that. And he had his moments. But So I walk in there and I say, hey, my grandma passed. I need some time off. And to his credit, as I'm walking out the door, he says, hey, if you're thinking of not taking that exam on Friday, you call me. Which, you know, good for him. I fully expect to fail this exam. I fully expect that it's just going to flounder. It's just going to, I'm not going to pass. Um, they, they're not even supposed to tell you you passed or failed after the exam. They're supposed to mail it to you, which I guess changed like the day before or the week before I took it. So I go into this exam. I take the test. I walk out. I sit down. They hand me a piece of paper saying you passed. I was elated. I, I couldn't describe how happy I was in that moment. Not for the sake of like, hey, good job me, but for the sake of like, I don't have to study for like nine months on this stupid exam. I don't have to do child slave labor, working for people I don't want to work for. I can finally start making money and providing for my family. Like, relief. 
So I uh, get in my car and I, I Google closest brewery near me. I go to there, get a beer, haven't told anybody, take a picture of the beer, send it to everybody saying I passed. That's how I celebrated. I solely believe that one of the reasons I passed that exam is some divine intervention from my grandma. 100%. I'm sure I would have passed eventually if she was still alive, but I, I fully expect that there was some stuff behind the scenes going on there. After that, I worked for the same company for about a month, put in my two weeks notice, and then I started working for someplace else. And it was finally the stage in my life where I could finally start making enough money, providing for my family, so my wife doesn't have to carry the burden for as much of the financial situation with our where we're at. And so I started working for this other company, and then my boss made a mistake, and she told me, because I was working for this great place up in Temecula, loved my boss, loved where I work, but I, the job didn't fit me real well, but I was going to stick with it because sometimes that's what you got to do. I didn't like being in an office all day, every day, and not getting paid when people don't show up. So uh, my boss made a mistake. She told me about this job on military bases and described it to me. And she described it in a way that she was like adamantly opposed to it. She hated it. She did it. It didn't fit her personality, basically. But when she described it to me in this negative way, I was like, that's awesome. I totally want to do that. <laughs> and from that moment, you could see it in her eyes. She's like, I screwed up. And so I told her like two days later, I was like, I have to apply for that job. So I, I did. I got accepted. It's a government job. So it took like three months before I actually started working there. That job was really the fulfillment of all that hard work, all the suffering I had to go through. You know, when I was an intern, I would... I would look for other jobs, other internship jobs, because I hated working at that place. But I would always hear God say, wait, hang on, hold my beer. We have something better planned for you. So through the suffering, through the prayer, God has something great in store for all of us. According to us being adopted under Christ. You see, God loves us as a father. We are chosen by God. It may not feel like it all the time, but he does. Last miracle. First miracle, buying a house. Second miracle, passing the licensure exam. Third miracle, getting a job that I don't hate. You see, I came from like firefighter, which I loved. Counselor, which sucked. And now this job, which was great again, which was a very long process. Fourth and final miracle, uh, birth of my daughter. So I'm married, been married for 13 years. I have a two-year-old girl. Her name is Kiara. Me and my wife tried to have kids early on in our marriage. Uh, didn't go so well. Struggled with fertility issues. Long story short, my wife had five different surgeries in about four years. Uh, the last one, we actually had to fly to Omaha, Nebraska for specialists and general surgeons to be in the same room to work on a lot of things, but it finally took. Uh, my wife was finally free of the endometriosis and the cysts on her ovaries and various things. So four years of fertility issues, we could have kids. Like There was nothing in the way, but we just couldn't. We didn't. So, you know, sit back and punt, reevaluate, change your tactics. What's our, what's our plan moving forward? 
adoption was what sat with us. That was our next move. So we went through the county because we couldn't, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. And they actually pay you to foster to adopt kids. So we fostered two kids, uh, not at the same time. And we had to give both of them back, which to the ordinary person, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But to us who wanted to establish a family and have kids, it was a very big deal, especially when you're giving kids back to druggy families. First kid was a newborn. Second kid was a six-month-old. It threw us for a loop. It, it was really bad, honestly, emotionally. There was a lot of emotional turmoil surrounding that era of our life. Oddly enough, the weekend prior to the first foster kid, my wife was on a retreat. The weekend prior to the second foster kid, I was on a silent retreat. I think God blesses you through those those sacrifices, those difficult times. So fast forward a little bit. We went with private adoption because at the end of the second foster kid, we're like, we don't want to give a kid back ever. How do we increase these odds? How do we, how do we change the, the battlefield into our favor? So we're like, why don't we just pay a bunch of money? So let's just pay a bunch of money, buy a kid, done with it. <laughs> so we went private adoption. We just saved our pennies. Because it is pretty pricey. And we knew that going in. So the day before my daughter was born, we were up at St. Michael's Abbey up in Orange County, which is a beautiful place. If you've never been, you should go. It's like straight out of Italy. Beautiful. At the end of Mass, we, we like walked around the place because we didn't really want to leave. It was so, so beautiful, just so awe-inspiring. And there was a uh, a wooden box on the side that had carried the remains of a few saints, one of the saints being St. Florian, patron saint of firefighters. So I, I put my hand on the box and said the same prayer I've been saying for eight years. God, please bless us with a child. And if it's not your will, then please you know, let us know so we can stop being stuck in limbo. Fast forward the next day, 6.30 a.m., my lawyer gives us a call. She says there's a woman in labor up in Orange County who's giving her kid up for adoption, and I'm giving her your profile first. You see that the biological mother or parents get to pick who the adoptive parents are. So you you compile a profile, they hand stacks of profiles to the uh, biological parents, and they get to pick. So 6.30 a.m. Monday morning, I kind of roll my eyes. I hadn't heard that story before, but I've heard similar ones. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go through the emotional roller coaster of like, oh, we're getting a kid. And then we don't burned out just like buying that first house burnt out. So I go to work. Um, I'm at work just doing my regular thing. There's some text messaging going on between the lawyer and my wife. And I get a phone call at uh, 830. I think it was saying they picked us. And in that moment, I thought to myself, I'm not sure I believe it. At the same time, I was a little scared, a little fearful, but then I'm like, I should be happy. Uh, where I work, I'm like halfway up to Orange County. So the, the, the lawyer and my wife carpool, I meet him at a park and ride. Meanwhile, I'm transferring money to a marketing agency, an exorbitant amount of money. I'm sure they make a ton of money. And we meet up at a park and ride and then continue on to the hospital. 
oddly enough, actually, it was uh, Jay Sarah, the off-ramp for the park and ride. The day prior, we had we were up in Orange County. The next day, we were up in Orange County. You know, there's some, there's some good stuff there, some good Catholic stuff. So we get to the hospital, and we got to pick out a name. I mean, we had been planning for this for like literally eight years. We had the crib, we had the car seat, we had all the stuff, right? We were ready. But we didn't know if it was a boy or girl. It was time. So we're trying to pick out names in the lobby of this, uh, or waiting room of this uh, hospital. The word Kiara came to mind, and Rose after St. Therese of Lisieux, so Kiara Rose. By the time she was in my arms, it was eight hours. So by the time we got the phone call from the lawyer to the time she was in my arms, it was eight hours. Eight years, four years fertility issues, four years adoption issues, eight years fulfilled in eight hours. I remember, uh, you know, it was such an emotional roller coaster that day. Um, and I didn't know I would, so I didn't believe in like love at first sight, right? Like that's not a thing. That's called passion, right? That's, you know, differentiate the two, please. First time I saw my daughter, she was sitting in the, the warming tray thing, table thing that they do. And I leaned in and I, I said, hello, Kiara. Dad, I loves you. And she, uh, she looked at me with those big, beautiful eyes. And she knew who her daddy was. Love at first sight. So um, a few things about the story that I should highlight. First thing, the uh, marketing agency. The marketing agency is, is basically just a, the one we went through was just basically a lady who uh, answered the phone a lot and connected the dots, connected biological parents with adoption agencies and with biological parents. The biological mother called the adoption or the, the marketing agency early morning, right? Like probably 5 a.m. or something like that. And so the lady, the marketing agency, was on a plane at that time. She had sat down, buckled her seatbelt, turned her cell phone off, was ready to take off to go wherever she was going to go. Uh, the pilot never showed up. So they say over the announcement, like, hey, we're having difficulties. Uh, please stand by. So she turns on her phone and immediately gets a phone call from this biological mother. If that pilot never showed up, we wouldn't have Kiara as our daughter. Miracle, you be the judge. She was born in 2021, the year of St. Joseph. St. Joseph being patron saint of a lot of things, one of which being fathers. I can parallel relate to St. Joseph. He's He's like the most inadequate person, inadequate father, right? I'm not trying to be insultive. Um, think about it. He, he's literally married to a perfect woman and he's raising God. I would feel inadequate to say the least. I'm a woodworker. I love woodworking. St. Joseph's uh, patron saint of carpenters. Actually, that year I went on a St. Joseph retreat where I got to learn a lot about him. So to say that the connection between me and St. Joseph is minimal would be an understatement. God's funny, right? So we sold our house in March of 2021, the, the house we bought in 2010. 
And we were able to stay in that house for three months and then we had to move. And so we moved into this rental, this tiny little duplex, 800 square foot. We're still there. We're still trying to buy a house, but housing market sucks right now. So three weeks after we move into this rental and we're downsizing, right? We're going from like a 13, 1400 square foot home to an 800 square foot home. The nursery, my daughter's bedroom was in shambles when we got that phone call. Boxes everywhere. We had all the equipment, but it was just covered with everything. And so I'm at work when labor is happening. And so on my way up to Orange County, I I call my mom and I'm like, mom, I totally need some help. And, you know, that nursery is in shambles. Can you please, please, please do something about it? And to their credit, my mom, my dad, my in-laws, they made it happen. So all these things lead to believe that there is some divine intervention in our lives, that there is some God answering prayers, whether it's yes, no, whether it's wait. They lead us to believe that God loves us, that this really is a love story. The Old Testament, love story. New Testament, love story. Our own stories, love stories. God does love us. It just may not feel like it when we're suffering. And that's the challenge, right? That's always been the challenge. How do we continue to be faithful while we suffer? While God doesn't give us what we want. While God doesn't give us a child for eight years. While God doesn't give us a good job or a job that we even tolerate for many, many years. But in the end, God prevails. You see, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, for me, more, is more about we are all adopted through Christ. We are chosen by God, and that this is a love story. So I hope this talk has given you some inspiration, given you some insight, given you some uh, ideas into how God might be working in your life currently. Thank you for your time. Thank you, friends, for joining us. Before we return to the pace and the cadence of our busy day, I encourage you to pause. What of Matt's talk stood out to you? What is stirring in your soul or remaining with you for you to continue to think and to pray about? Friends, we are a small apostolate seeking to capture stories of ordinary lives transformed by God's extraordinary graces. If you enjoyed this reflection, could you please give it a thumbs up or simply share it with two friends? We're trying to get the word out, and these small acts of recommendation go a tremendous way in helping us. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast. Feel free to check the show notes for discussion questions and thoughts for further reflection. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast. We're a small word-of-mouth movement. Can we ask you to share it with a friend? Please see our show notes and website for discussion questions and other resources. Until next time, may God bless you, keep you, and make His face shine upon you.